Hi there, I'm Mel Drago and welcome to Chats in the Hub, the third podcast in the Paraplanner Hub series. Today we're going to be talking about working in a boutique office versus working in a corporate paraplanning role. So what I mean is a boutique is where they would have their own licensee, they have their own business rules and licensee rules, um, and usually a smaller office versus working in, say, a big bank or at AMP and working in a team that just does solely paraplanning. So I've got two people here today um, who are hub members. I've got uh, Tim Goggin, who's a corporate representative, and I've got Bronson Hills, who's the boutique representative. Hi, Bronson. Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys, for doing this with for me. This is our second try at this because our audio didn't work last time, but we're going to get there today. So before we get started, um, what I want to really do is talk about where you've come from. Um, so, Tim, can you briefly explain your experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in the industry for around 20 years, mainly in power planning roles. Started in a small accounting firm that had just got into financial planning at the time. So I was a junior power planner there for about three years. I then moved into the corporate world, uh, into a centralised power planning team with AXA, which is now AMP. Uh, became a senior power planner along, along the way there um, and was there for about four years. Uh, then I sort of moved back to, to a range of smaller firms and boutique firms for about the next 10 years after that. Uh, then about four years ago, I went back to a centralised paraplaning team for one of the big four banks um, in the private client area. So that's a bit of a snapshot. And Bronson, you, I was speaking to you earlier, you work in Cairns in a boutique office and you've got your own licensee. Can you tell me a bit about how you got into that paraplaning role? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I haven't been in the industry for that long as Tim, um, but the short amount of time that I have been, uh, I pretty much started off as a CSO and sort of um, it grew from there. So I started as a junior through to a senior paraplanner and um, now an associate planner. So, um, yeah, pretty much just uh, developed along the way very quickly so awesome. we'll talk about development in a minute as well because um, I think it's important to talk about the differences in those two roles and how they can develop people so what I thought I'd do um, in this podcast is just to compare the two roles because they are distinctly different I think in the work that they do and um, the type of SOAs you write and things like that um, and especially when you deal with the planners how you deal with them is different so First round, I'd like to discuss the kind of work you do, how many planners are in your office um, and, you know, how involved you get in that financial planning process. So, Bronson, can you give us a bit of a description of that role and your role as a paraplanner? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, there's four planners, including myself, um, and uh, but the two senior planners uh, have most of the business coming through where um, I'll regularly work with them um, through sitting in meetings um, strategizing uh, the plan with them and then also presenting it to the client. So um, as far as the work goes, it's a, you know, jack of all trades sort of thing. Um, and there's nothing sort of limited. It, it's just all over the, uh, like you do from start to finish. There's no, you just get the plan half, uh, halfway through the process and do it. And then you don't see the end product. Yeah. So and I know I've worked in boutiques as well. So you, you sort of get involved with a lot of things like the phone noting. Do you do much admin in your work or is that more? Less no, uh, that's more um, like we have um, a CSO for that and yeah. um, also a junior paraplanner as well. So 
um, I sort of handed the admin implementation side of thing back a while ago oh, and touched it for some time. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And, and with this type of work, um, I know you're in Cairns, so you probably do have a distinct sort of target market, but I think you were saying that you do have a breadth of SOAs that range from basic to family trusts and SMSFs and things like that. Yeah, yeah. We have our bread and butter sort of thing, you know, your time planning and um, startups for um, uh, young families and whatnot, but there's nothing limited. And um, we do anywhere from self-managed super funds through to trust through to um, married trusts as well. So um, there's nothing limited. Uh, like we don't sort of turn away anything. And and do you get, because you're so involved in the process, I think you were saying you even sit in client meetings and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. 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 So you get to sit, do you get to, when the clients do implement their advice, that feedback directly from that client? Do you ever see that? Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah. It depends um, how hands-on the client needs to be. So um, for someone who's pretty low maintenance, where you just pretty much get them to sign all the forms and um, uh, you implement it for them, then you just give them a follow-up call like you know two weeks later saying it's all done. Yeah. Um, you don't really see that, but for clients that need a little bit more hand-holding and need to step through the process uh, um, step by step, then you do get to see the feedback. Yeah, that's always good. It's nice. Um, yeah. I'm going to switch to Tim. So, uh, Tim, I've worked with you. We've worked in corporate before. Um, it's, uh, the work is different because you're working in a team. You're kind of isolated doing power planning work, so you really are involved in that work. Can you describe the work that you do? And you, like, just for the audience, Tim and I used to work at AXA Power Planning, which is uh, was just a sort of smaller corporate team. And then Tim, you went to a private power planning team at a bank where you dealt with very high net worth clients. So can you describe the work in both of those teams? Yeah, sure. Um, so the first uh, the first corporate gig in in AXA. Um, it was a small, yeah, small power planning team, but we, obviously we sort of dealt with a large uh, number of advisors. Um, but the the work is it's predominantly in both corporals. It's it's just it's the writing plans pretty much day in day out. Um, there's no client facing interaction, so you don't get to see the clients at all. Uh, you don't get involved in the administration, um, and you don't um, you don't really have much. Um, to do with the strategy development side of things. Although having said that you do, um, like if you do identify that there's, uh, that the strategy might not be the best strategy, um, you certainly can raise that with the, with the advisor. So you might get some involvement um, there. Um, so in terms of um, the difference between, I guess the, the two, two roles, um, so, yeah, um, so the most recent one was high net worth clients. So the, the strategies are, are probably different. So you're probably yeah, looking at more self-managed super funds, um, trust structures. The modelling is probably a bit more complex in some in some cases, um, and definitely um, no sort of centrelink with the high net worth clients. So back back at the AXA role, the strategies are more sort of uh, transition to retirement, salary sacrifice, um, insurance, centrelink. Um, so they're, 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 they're the kind of, um, the kind of uh, strategies that you get involved with. And we were doing RBLs for people that are industry for over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Horrible things. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Tim. So as a power planner, 
you do need access to support services such as technical, obviously, compliance more and more. So every licensee has their own business rules on top of legislative and how they interpret that legislation. So we need to understand that. And being a power planner these days, a lot of the SOA is very compliance driven, whether that's right or wrong, but it is, and we need to have support there. And also technology, software is a major part of our roles. Um, how, Tim, how do you find that support being in a corporate environment? Uh, was it easy to access and how did you find that support to help your role? Uh, yeah, I guess in a, in a corporate uh, environment, all that kind of support is in-house. So there's generally sort of dedicated teams of each area. So you'd have a compliance team, um, you'd have a team looking after the software, like, you know, like the X plan or whatever it might be. So your team's looking after that. Um, you might have a your technical services team um, and business development managers and all that kind of stuff. So you, over time, you sort of get to know these teams and it's quite easy to liaise with them to get um, any answers that you need or if you get stuck, um, which is probably, it can be a bit different to maybe when you're in a, in a smaller firm where you probably, um, whilst you might have some in-house support, um, you generally look to sort of um, providers or, or different somewhere external to get um, to get your answers um, if you get stuck so that that's probably the difference there yeah so the other thing is the process of getting there I know with the office I'm in to request a sort of technical system you have to go put it through X plan and get that query dealt through X plan if we want to talk about Bronson, you're in a small team and I've worked in boutiques before. It could be easier because the person next to you could be a technical guru and you can get that support. Um, but sometimes they're not in the office. So how do you get that support uh, that you require? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually manage the X-Plan for our office. So Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, <laughs> we used to um, have it managed by an external sort of team and now we just sort of um, have like a... Um, a small group who sort of manages the um, super admin behind the scenes sort of thing. And if it's anything that needs to be raised with like Iris or whatever, we sort of raise it with them for them to get it sorted. But mm. if it's anything minor sort of like with modeling or whatnot, I just, t just tend to fix it myself. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but with, um, you know, strategizing and all that sort of stuff is something we don't know. We've got um, tech services where we sort of rig them up and, ask them questions and they sort of help with the stuff that you don't really do every day. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there's, it, you know, the support with the compliance, um, where we obviously outsource our compliance to um, an auditor. So uh -huh. obviously we do everything in-house, but um, any sort of compliance sort of question gets um, raised with them and um, it gets sorted pretty quickly and it's nothing sort of waiting and raising tickets, whatever. It's just a quick email or quick phone call. Which makes sense um, because you do have your own license. So it's not like you have to go to your licensee and get that support. So you have an external person. And are they at call for a compliance query? So you can just email them and get an answer straight away? Yeah, pretty yeah. much at, at call. And um, we just pretty much yeah, raise it with them straight away. And it's usually same day. Or if it's something a little bit urgent, we can give them a quick call. Great. That's good. Um, okay. So let's talk about development opportunities. Now, this is going to be interesting because I think there's differences between the two um, and I'm really big on development I think paraplan is like a gateway to a lot of different careers in the industry because you get to learn that technical stuff 
Um, Bronson, can you talk about, I know you've come really quickly from being a CSO to now a senior power planner. Can you talk about your development and maybe where you want to go and how you think that is beneficial being in your boutique office? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I started, I sort of you know was bouncing around doing bookkeeping and administration and whatnot and um, pretty much uh, fell into the financial planning sort of role um, and just started out as a CSO and uh, my boss at the time uh, was very quickly to see that I had the skills and um, uh, knowledge to sort of push through and actually do a bit of study and actually uh, develop quite quickly. So he sort of approached me six months into my employment and sort of said, hey, do you want to you know, uh, start doing uh, some education and um, get sort of a postgraduate sort of degree? And so I pretty much took him up on that offer and started studying for two years. And after eight months, I went straight into junior paraplaning and then um, went straight to senior after about another six. And um, yeah, pretty much ideally, I would like to um, be a planner and I'm sort of three quarters of the way there. It's just uh, just got to get the clients at the moment. <laughs> and do you think they're fully supportive of you being a planner? Like they're really in giving, are they paying for your study and helping you with that as well? Not so much my study. It's more yeah. of any sort of uh, stuff to do with phasier and uh, whatnot like that. So if um, like I had to sit my exam the other weekend and um, they're happily to pay for stuff like that. But as far as, you know, university degrees go, you know, you pay for that yourself. But, oh, yeah. You know, if you don't invest in yourself, where do you go? Yeah, and no, I totally agree. That, that's good. So, it, and it's been obviously very quick. So that's amazing. I think it's really good. And that describes, I think, that boutique environment because it's so close to everything. And if they see potential in you, they're going to make sure you get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So t- uh, development opportunities in a corporate, I think, is is slightly different because, if you don't want to be a planner, say, you can. There's a whole heap of other roles that you might want to move into and try out. Would you agree that that's the difference? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I think, yeah, I mean, if 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 your idea is that you want to become an advisor, then I, I'd probably suggest that um, a smaller or boutique firm would probably be the go. But if you if you've got an interest in some of the other areas, whether it be yeah, compliance or the like, being a technical uh, person um, or even getting involved in the in the software side of stuff or you know financial planning software side of stuff then then the corporate environment lends itself to that um, and it's and you can sort of you probably can get experience in the different areas uh, if you don't want to go down that financial advisor track um, the corporate um, environment probably gives you a, a wider breadth of um, uh, possibilities and uh, like just talking about development investment, I think, um, and we spoke about this earlier, Bronson, about you getting involved in those investment decisions, being your own licensee, that's something that the licensee has to do. You might not be exposed to that in a big licensee, corporate licensee team. They have a whole investment team that does that for you. But um, Bronson, you were saying you get involved in that sometimes? Yeah, yeah. So for sort of new clients, so sort of we have a um, preferred list of funds that we use. Yeah. And um, uh, we pretty much just match the allocation to whatever the risk is. So um, nine times out of 10, I'll actually do the investments choice and allocation and then they just check it and go, yeah. yep, that's pretty much what I would have done. And especially uh, for your clients that might have a high income need of a certain amount of money, then we tailor everything to that as well. So um, looking at 
cash flow analysis of each individual fund and working out the uh, running yield for that particular fund instead of just putting it all together. Yeah, which is very interesting. And if you're really into that investment side, this is a really good experience to do that. I don't think I've discussed this before. The SOA templates that you have to use, I mean, that's the biggest thing that you work with. How do you find those? Do they change a lot? Are they easy to use? Or are they very strict in what you can put in there? Or Bronson, do you get heaps of sort of leeway as to what you can get in the SOA? Or put in there? Um, it's pretty much like there's the you know the nuts and bolts of it you can't change like you've got your mandatory disclosures and uh, mornings and whatnot like that but mm. as far as the format or what you want to put in there there's no sort of limit yep. um, as long as it's not contradicting on anything and it's all as far as compliant then there's no limitation so if you want to put flow charts in or if you want to move the current situation from the back of the SOA to the front of the mm. SOA that's fine you want to switch where the alternatives are that's fine as long as it's all there it doesn't matter that's good uh, so you know in custom strategies as well as um, sometimes you come across something that's you haven't done before so you got to look it all up and you know just get signed off and put it in <laughs> so it is flexible in that regard um tim do you have much flexibility in what you can put in the template or is it quite sort of locked down now with the royal commission and things like that it's probably a bit more locked down than it possibly was in the past. Um, I'd say probably with the, the difference um, is that uh, <clears throat> the, there's usually a, a team that looks after the template. So in a in a corporate, um, you don't have to write any template wording yourself. Because I know when I've worked in a couple of smaller firms, if if there was a strategy that you hadn't recommended for a while, you'd have to go and update the actual wording yourself. Um, whereas in the corporate environment, it's updated regularly. So that's one area that you don't need to, to, to worry about. Mm, that's true. Uh, culture and social aspects. So we're talking about being in a corporate team um, and you have either 20 people in your team or, and you've got all the bigger, wider team that you're involved with could be up to 100. So how, And how do you find that? Is it harder because there's more political stuff happening or do you find it, it how do you find that culture in a corporate environment Tim? Well, well I think I mean culture um, it's probably it doesn't really matter whether it's a big or small firm I, I would say so I think yeah, if you find a good good culture um, then there's probably somewhere that um, that you want to stick to I think on this what I found is probably more just on the social side probably a corporate environment perhaps lends itself better to that if your interest is going out for friday night drinks um and that kind of thing i've ten, tended to find the, the larger the larger places are probably um it's more likely to happen there um but from from a cultural point of view um yeah i mean you can get politics in any any kind of environment true that's very true um bronson uh I know Tim's saying um, that it does lend itself better in the social environment, but uh, I think you were saying you have a great culture in your business because you're so close and work with each other really well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we pretty much um, have a good running culture in our, our office. There's no sort of, you know, uh, love-hate relationships at all. It's all everyone's on par sort of thing. It's just um, like uh, we'll regularly have office drinks um, on a Wednesday 
um, we call them hump day beers, <laughs> but, um, you know, like we always sort of do stuff. So that be a Christmas in July or a Christmas party or, you know, just sort of, you know, it's been a tough week. So we'll have a couple of drinks sort of thing. It's, it, it's good. And, um, you know, and, and talking about culture as well, we don't change the way that our business hires people instead of it, you know, looking on qualifications and um, what you've done or who, uh, or who you've been with. It's more about who you are as a person rather uh, mm. because you could have the best worker in the world, but they could be completely just a terrible person. Yeah. And um, there's no office politics at all. If there's something uh, that's going wrong or uh, you got to call someone out or something, it, it just happens. There's no, um, hate or anything like that it's just everyone's uh, you know oh, cool-headed cool. yeah yeah that's good um oh, planners so you you're both going to have different relationships with planners bronson in your office you, you see them every day they're part of your team can you mm. describe your relationship with the planners how do they give you requests so, and things like that for work um so i normally like um because i sit in with all most of the meetings anyway especially the new clients, uh, they sort of just sit down with me and just be nut it out on a piece of paper and um, mm. sort of do it. Um, but for the other juniors, we sort of put it on a paraplan or request sheet and have the goals, the scope, why it's not there or the alternatives that we're going to use or the strategies we're going to use and the fees and whatnot. Um, they're all written down on, on a Word document so they can clearly see it. Yep. Um, but as far as the relationship goes, it's you know, great. If something's not right, you just stick your head around the corner and say, hey, well, why the hell did you do that? <laughs> and do they mentor you, being the senior power planner there? Do you get that mentorship relationship? Um, yeah, like as far as um, power planning goes, they sort of, if there's something that I haven't done before, then say that they sort of critique it a little bit. But um, I think I've reached the cap as far as, you know, standard plans go as far as insurance and um, super rollovers and stuff like that. It's more yeah. if they have a personal sort of preference for that particular client where they might want to show um, a, a certain pie graph or a, a certain diagram and whatnot, where it's more of the value add sort of stuff we chuck in rather than the actual document itself. Mm, that's true. Yep. And do, do the clients, are you exposed to the clients so they know you are the power planner that helps them with that strategy? So well, I'm, intru they... I'm introduced as the associate planner. So yep. as far as yeah, I do the plan, um, but they say that I do the plan, but as far as any sort of immediate inquiries or any sort of first contact sort of thing, they sort of encourage them to call me yep. so I can handle most of the requests and um, sort of if it's something that needs to get the planner involved and um, we do that. That's good. Cool. Um, now, Tim, in a corporate environment, you don't have four or five planners that you work with. You could have 3,000 planners. <laughs> I know actually we had like 1,500 um, and that were, could have used us in the team. So that relationship with the planners, is it? can you describe that um, dynamic? Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously um, <clears throat> a bit different. So, yeah, when you're, when you're de dealing with a large number of advisors, um, you've got I guess a larger scope in terms of their of the advisor's experience and knowledge. 
Um, so yeah, basically you got to deal with the good and the bad. I guess one of the one of the good things is if you do if you do come across an advisor that you don't really want to work with, <clears throat> then it's because due to the large number of advisors, you're probably not going to do a lot of plans for them anyway. Um, so that that might be one advantage. Um, but on, I guess on a day to day level, <clears throat> generally you probably uh, I mean, you might you might speak to them once. You're, right, once you get the request, you might give them a call if you've got any queries. Other than that, you're just sending a couple of emails to them. So you you tend to not. Well, it depends. When when I was at AXA, because there was a, such a vast number of advisors, you probably really didn't get to to build a relationship really with with a lot of the advisors. Um, in my most recent role. Um, I think there was about 20 to 30 advisors. So I guess because I was sort of there for about three and a half years, I did build a relationship with a few of the advisors, um, which was which was good. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah, it's um, it's certainly it's certainly a different dynamic uh, than yeah, when you're in a, in a smaller practice with a sort of a fewer number of advisors. And I know, remember Tim, there used to be some planners that they were really bad to deal with. And if we came in the paraplanner hub, not paraplanner <laughs> hubs, the paraplanner pool to do the next job, everyone's like, no, you do it. No one want to do that work. How about the perks? And when I say perks, um, not the benefits of working in the role, but like other advantages you get for being in your environment, your work environment. So Tim, working in a corporate I imagine you get some benefits working under a big bank. Being yeah, well, yeah, when yeah, working for the bank, um, you get um, access to uh, like a range of discounts on their banking products. So, like a discounted rate on your home loan, um, and I think you get um, extra reward points on the credit card and stuff like that. So that that's um, an advantage um, on that side. Um, I guess uh, another advantage is that they tend to spend quite a bit of money on their Christmas parties. So yeah. sometimes you get to uh, to go to some lavish Christmas parties. Although that's probably since the GFC, um, it's probably not not quite as uh, yeah, not quite well, as extravagant as they used to be. Yeah, they used to be huge. Um, I, I guess one of the disadvantages of being in a corporate is that you are at the whim of a shareholder company. So if they want to restructure mm. or if something happens, you'll probably be like it's not as secure as yeah well that's yeah that's yeah. it um there, there's always always that kind of risk and it, it, yeah, it does it does happen it's probably a little less certain perhaps um than a smaller environment yeah and if they want to change the rules or say you have to do this from now on as a paraplanet you have to do it there's no i don't want to do this like if they say you from now on you have to check this or do this research you have to do that right Bronson, so what do you think about the benefits of being in a boutique compared to, say, corporate role, um, other than the friendships that you develop in the team? Um, like obviously, we still, you know, have the Christmas parties and the client functions and all that sort of stuff. But as far as the perks, like if there's something that you want to go to as far as a professional development thing, you sort of put your hand up and say, hey, you mind if we go? Um, mm-hmm. but usually pretty accommodating to yep. you know, develop you as an employee rather than so just, you, know, <laughs> you guys aren't going. Yeah. So um, I actually had the opportunity this year, uh, being my first year as an AR, to actually go down to um, two PD days and um, it, it was actually quite nice. So okay. um, you know, two days of education plus 
parties at night sort of you know it takes a toll but it's all in good fun yeah no that's really good yeah that's true so um i know when you're a corporate you have to get approval to do that not yeah. everyone will be able to go to the fpa conference um mm, absolutely. but if you wanted to you'd be able to do that yeah that's good finally i want to talk about the royal commission is obviously a massive impact had a massive impact on uh industry i think all of us sort of knew this was bubbling in the background um especially if you've been in industry for a long time and power planners because you deal with the advice that's being delivered to clients we uh we did see a lot of the impacts of those changes so what i want to understand is um bronson how does and obviously being in your own licensee so you're the ones in control of how you interpret law and things like that mm. did it impact you significantly or how did you find that impacted your role as a paraplanner um as a paraplanner too much like obviously compliance is a little bit more beefed up now um and we felt that sort of leading up to the end of um last year where we're actually still with a corporate um licensee and the compliance was just getting outrageous um and the sort of requests they were sort of asking to rework but following in the new year, like when we switched licensees and um, we still kept the, you know, the good compliance sort of habits and everything like that previous and just tweaked it to what the law actually says rather than mm. the interpretation. And obviously all that sort of stuff is signed off by um, our legal uh, person at the time and everything. So it gets passed through above board. But as far as phase year itself, um, uh, I actually had to rush and do my um, diploma, so RG146, before yeah. the end of the year. Yep. So I was doing some university study and uh, it wasn't RG146 compliant. Mm. So I actually had to do a, uh, was it a 12-week course in three weeks? <laughs> oh, so uh, How did you find it? Was it, it, was just, it was just repeat. It was literally just repeated information of what I already knew. Okay. Yeah, good. So, but for someone who hasn't done it before, uh, I would not recommend doing it in three weeks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's intense. So, and your, you, did you say you did your FASI exam? Yeah, yeah. So we did it last weekend. How'd you find it? Yeah, well, we don't know for a while, but oh. um, I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Yeah. But um, it, it was easier than what I thought, but it was still hard. Well, there's not a lot of short answers, to be honest. Like, I think there's only eight short answer questions and it's literally like um what should you do in this sort of situation and it's only looking for like a two sentence reply and i think the problem is is everyone's sort of trying to write out a huge life story of what they should do yeah rather than just answer the question and i sort of i had the advantage of doing university study before i did the exam but mm -hmm. for those advisors that haven't done it for a long time they sort of tend to go all out on the question. Oh, gosh. All right. We're going to have to do a podcast of that. I'm actually going to get someone to help me with that. Um, so, Tim, you are in a corporate, you were in the private role when all this sort of stuff happened. And in one of the big banks that was implicated in the Royal Commission, um, probably not to the extent of, say, uh, A&P, but did that impact your role somewhat? Yeah, there was a, there was a significant impact on the processes um, that because it's sort of in a very high, highly processed uh, environment, being in a bank anyway. But it just it increased it, um, and so some some of the measures that were brought in were so we sort of beefed up the 
diary notes and strategy notes that the advisors have to do um, and just making sure that the advisors are sort of covering off on all the different advice areas. So now when requests come through, um, that they're a lot more lengthy. So the diary notes longer, the strategy notes longer. So it takes extra time to digest that. Um, and then on top of that, we're sort of not given the responsibility of the compliance, but certainly the, the guidance was if you sort of identify any gaps in the file, you know, obviously bring that up with the advisor or the support teams. So it, I, I would say it probably... This. For a standard request, it would probably increase the amount of time it would take me by, say, 50% to, to get that request done. So it certainly impacted um, um, the banks in providing financial advice, um, which we probably all agree is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Bronson, did you find that that compliance burden was a little bit pushed onto you, like that you had to have that knowledge to know what was in an SOA as a power planner without you expected to know that? Yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, I was expected to know, you know, all the changes and whatnot like that. So, um, and, and we get most of our files sort of pre-vetted. So for anything new that we haven't done in a while, we get it checked off by compliance anyway. So yeah. um, it's sort of that second sort of barrier because um, it, cause there's no way in hell that you can keep up with, all the little tiny incremental changes without having someone who's knowingly watching all the changes. Mm. Does that make sense? So yep. that's why it's always good to sort of, um, if there is a change, get it vetted. So mm. you actually know what's going on. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think in my personal opinion, I think this is why paraplan is becoming more important because you're the sort of second, um, not got stopgap, but you, you're another sort of eyes looking at that advice to make sure it is compliant. Mm, absolutely. Competent. So last question that I have for both of you, um, I might ask Tim first. If someone's been listening to this podcast and thinking, you know what, I, I think I really want to get into a corporate power planning role. I can see that that will help me get my skills up just writing plans. Tim, can you give me any tips to get into that corporate role? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, definitely you'd obviously need to have um, some some base uh, education. So the DFP probably one to four. Then if you can get a couple of years experience um, power planning in a, in a small firm or even doing the, the administration and slash power planning in a smaller firm. Uh, and then like the, the big organisations, they tend to, to advertise fairly regularly for roles. So it's just a matter of keeping your eye out on the recruitment side or even try and, try and get a hold of a couple of the recruiters. There's, there's, there's recruiters out there that are pretty much dedicated to filling power planning roles. So if you can try and get your name in front of that, um, them, that's probably that's probably the way to, to land a gig in the corporate environment. I actually do know a few recruiters who do that. So if anyone's listening and does want to get in contact with those recruiters, just let me know. Bronson, um, now you've started being a... CSO and that's how you got your foot in the door is it, do you think that's the best way to do it just get into a sort of a base um, role yeah absolutely so I, I would recommend sort of just starting sort of small in the boutique sort of office um, uh, so if there's a CSO job available or even receptionist if you show that you have uh, the capability to step up to the next role then um, if as long as obviously the bosses are um, accommodating and you sort of let them know that you don't want just to be a CSO 
this usually you know develop you quite quickly and sort of push you through the roles mm. um but obviously if there is a paraplanar role coming up and and it is advertised um and feel free to apply for it there's no sort of um, difference between um the corporate or the boutique as far as strategizing and all that sort of stuff it's just different processes and yeah. um you know nothing else changes it just might be the way that they do things slightly but as far as compliance and everything it's all the same mm, agree yep you're right okay so that's the end of our podcast today thanks to bronson and tim for the chat if you'd like any more info on the chat today you can hit me up in messenger mel elizabeth is my facebook name and i can connect you with either bronson or tim if they want help or even a recruiter if you're interested in getting in any of those roles next week we'll have another podcast um, and we'll be talking about as a pro planner the things you're going to look out for in this industry in today's environment but other than that uh see you in the hub and thanks again bye Hi everyone. So that was the podcast uh, where we compared boutique versus corporate power planning roles. I thought I'd add in bloopers because there was such a hit last time and people liked them. So I've added a few. There were actually a few this time. The first round we started recording the podcast, Tim's mic wasn't working so it sounded like he was uh, underwater scuba diving pretty much. Um, so you can hear that. Uh, halfway through the podcast, my daughter also decided to come in and show me a very important YouTube video, which you can hear. And finally, I thought I'd just add a little interview with my daughter because um, this five-year-old, five-year-old inquisitive mind wanted to see what I was doing and she answered a few questions about being a power planner. So thanks for listening. And if you're interested in being in the Power Planner Hub, just go to the Facebook group, the Power Planner Hub, and request membership and we'll get you in there. But other than that, see you in the Hub. Bye. Hi there, I'm Mel Drago and welcome to Chats in the Hub, a podcast for the Paraplanner Hub community. <clears throat> in, stop, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> 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 I already stopped it. Wait, let me have a drink. Hang on. Can you briefly explain your Paraplanner experience? Uh, so I guess uh, on a snapshot of my career, um, I've been in the industry for seven years, a little bit after, I was in my own team. Um, so I became a senior power planner within that team. Thank you, Tim. Um, my daughter just showed me a baby vomiting onto the bed. Ramona, can we just... Oh, gosh. So what I want to do is firstly ask about Ramona's experience in power planning. Now, Ramona... You've worked for a long, long time, 25 years in the industry, is that correct? Yes. And how are you finding that? Well, really, really hard. Yeah? Why hard? Because um, it's my table's really big, like it's probably like bigger than a head. Let's move on to the next question. Ramona, can you describe the type of work that you do? Um, I do, um, like, typing word f- work for business. Yeah. And, um, that's all I do. Just typing? Yeah, for okay. business. Um, that's a pure power planner right there. <laughs>